0: Time for our second Bible reading today, and it's taken from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So if you can follow in the Bible or along on the screen. Luke, chapter 4, beginning from verse 1. The temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority in splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. May the Lord bless his word.
1: Thanks, Dahlia. My name is Ollie. I'm one of the ministers of our church. And it would be great if you kept your Bible open as we work through those first few verses of Luke chapter 4. But as we begin, I'm going to thank God for the time, so please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that we, your people, may be thoroughly equipped for life. Uh, Please help us today as we think about temptation and sin. May you uh, use your word to do those things and to build us up in our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some things in life don't live up to the hype. I was uh, reminded of this when, when I was studying at college one time, Bible college my third year on Wednesdays we used to have class from 9am in the morning to 9.30pm at night so it was a 12 hour day And as you can imagine, it was pretty heavy going to be at college thinking about such deep topics for so long. And so one of the things we did to kind of sustain ourselves through that was we would make delicious meals at college each week for dinner. And so one week we made roast pork ribs, another week we made delicious potatoes, another week an Indian guy made an authentic Indian curry. And so it was great. It was certainly a highlight and a good bonding time of college. Uh, but one week we decided to make a snack, to make a dessert, and so what we decided to do was make a choc ripple cake. I don't know if you're familiar with what they are, but you get chocolate biscuits, you put them in whipped cream, you leave it in the fridge for a while, and it, uh, the biscuits make the, the cream makes the biscuits go nice and soft. Uh, that's what they're meant to look like, and so we uh, we went to the supermarket, we bought our chocolate biscuits. But being at college, we couldn't whip the cream, so uh, what we got instead was one of those cans that you shake, and then you squirt it out, and the whipped cream apparently comes out from that. And so uh, we used that, we lovingly crafted our uh, chocolate ripple cake, all the while imagining how good it was going to be, we then put it in the fridge to set, and we went off to class. And I must admit, uh, for most of that, the following few hours, I, I didn't... Learned much, my mind was on the chock ripple cake, I was just salivating, thinking how good it was going to be. And so finally, after an eternity, or what felt like an eternity class ended, we went running through the kitchen, drool coming out of our mouths. We opened up the fridge, and do you know what we saw? Uh, this is what we saw. Uh, that was our Choc Ripple Cake. Uh, apparently, you shouldn't use the canned cream on it. It somehow just went watery, ran off it. And I mean, isn't that disgusting? It it's, looks like a child made. In fact, I reckon Levi could probably do a better job of making a Choc Ripple Cake than that. But as you can imagine, it, it, we were pretty disappointed. It didn't live up to the hype. And isn't that the way of life? Some things in life don't live up to the hype. TV commercials promise the world, drink this drink, eat this food, wear these clothes, drive this car, it'll change your life. They promise so much, yet fail to deliver. Or what about politicians in election time, which is uh, what we're in at the moment? They promise so much, they promise the world. But then after election, what happens? Oh, they fail to live up to the hype. See, that's the way life goes. Some things in life failed to live up to the hype. But let me ask you this. What about Jesus? So far in Luke's gospel, there's been incredible hype about Jesus. He's promised by God, born of a virgin, the one who'll come and rid the world of all the pain and suffering. And in fact, even last week, we saw some incredible hype there. Remember, as Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. We're then given the genealogy, which concludes in chapter 3, verse 38, that says, the son of Adam, the son of God. I mean, if anything is hyped, it's Jesus. I mean, you can't get more hype than being the son of God. And so does Jesus live up to the hype And that's a particularly important question to ask because, I don't know if you're aware of this, Jesus is not the first one in the Bible that's described as the Son of God. And all of the others who are were letdowns. The first one is Adam. He's the first man, and a lot of hype there, made in God's image, walking around the Garden of Eden with God. And yet when push came to shove, what happened? He fails to deliver. He doesn't trust God and he sins. Then we get Israel, God's people, who are also described as the son of God. And again, much hype there. The offspring of a miraculous promise, saved spectacularly from slavery in Egypt. But what happens? Again, when push comes to shove, they're too scared to believe God's promises. They think the promised land is too difficult to take. And so they wander. God sentences them to wander in the wilderness they failed to live up to the hype. And so that's what we see with all the previous sons of God and the the track record is bad. And so we come to Jesus and we wonder, will things be any different with him? Will he also fail to live up to the hype? But what we see in Luke 4, I'm sure you heard it before, as it was read out for us, is that with each temptation, we get an emphatic yes, an emphatic this is different, this son of God is different. See, what we see here is that Jesus is the true Son of God, the one who does defeat temptation and the devil and sin. And so what we see as we work through is he shows us what this true Son of God is like, that this true Son prioritizes the Father, that this true Son seeks the glory of the Father, and this true Son trusts the promises of the Father. And so the first temptation... Uh, Straight after his baptism, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's led out into the wilderness. And he's there for 40 days. Now, uh, when you hear that that figure, 40 days, what biblical event should spring to mind for you? Well, it's the Israelites in the wilderness, of course. Remember, as I said before, they get to the promised land. God has promised, I'm going to give you this land. They send in the spies. The spies come back and say, yeah, the land's good, but the people are too tough. And so the Israelites doubt God's goodness, doubt his ability to deliver them. And so God sentences them to 40 years in the wilderness. And so when we hear this number 40, we're meant to realize it's deliberately and intentionally linking Jesus to the Israelites. It's comparing this new son of God with an old son of God. And then as the story continues, we're given about the greatest understatement of all time. Have a look at verse 2. Jesus ate nothing during those 40 days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Well, you don't say, I know for for some of us, we might go a few hours without eating, and World War III almost breaks out, yet Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. And in fact, scientists think this is about the longest a healthy person can go without eating. It's about the limit. And so Jesus is right on that limit. And it's at this time when he's hungry, and he's tired, and he's sore, that's when the devil comes. Have a look at verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He says, if you really are the son of God, then why stay hungry? Use your power to serve yourself, to feed yourself. And you can just imagine how tempting this must have been for Jesus. Often I think we mistakenly think of Jesus as this supernatural figure who when temptation came, he just brushes it off so easily. It's not a challenge to him at all, but that's certainly not the case. That's not what we're told in Hebrews 4. We're told that Jesus was tempted like us in every way. Here he hasn't eaten in 40 days. He's tired, he's worn down, his defenses are low. And so the temptation is genuine. The temptation is real. But I wonder, have you ever asked yourself, have you ever wondered, was it actually wrong for Jesus to eat here? We're not told of any particular command that God gave him not to eat. And we know that Jesus wasn't against miraculously making food. In fact, later in Luke's gospel, he feeds 5,000 people from essentially nothing. So what's the issue here then? Well, the issue is that the role of God's Son was to prioritise God even above his own needs, even above his own wants. And that's what Jesus did. Have you ever noticed how in the Gospels, we never see Jesus use his power for his own good? When Jesus is lying on the ground at night sleeping, he doesn't use his power to make a mattress to sleep on. When Jesus is hiking up a hill, he doesn't use his power to teleport himself to the top of that hill. Even on the cross, when people are yelling at Jesus, use your power to save yourself, to come down, he doesn't use his power for his own good. See, this true son of God prioritizes God above even his own needs and wants and desires. And so that's why he replies how he does. Have a look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. This is a quote from Deuteronomy as we uh, had Deuteronomy 6 read out before and in fact all three of Jesus' responses in this passage are from Deuteronomy and what we actually get if you flip over to, don't do it, but if you did flip over to Deuteronomy 8, you'd see that this is only actually half of the quote and this was quite a common rhetorical device in those times where uh, you'd quote half a quote and it's kind of inferred that you're implying the, the whole of the quote and the full quote says this, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is essentially saying, I have food that you don't know about. Food that's better than physical food. See, as good as it is to have a perfectly cooked, well-seasoned, medium-rare steak topped off with deliciously crispy chips, as good as that is, this is better. This food is better more nourishing, the Word of God. And Jesus shows us that if we want to be healthy, then that's what we need. And sure, I'm sure we all do want to be healthy. I'm sure there's never been anyone in the history of the world that has said, I do not want to be healthy. I want to be sickly and malnourished and starved. There's never been anyone that's said that. Everyone wants to be healthy. And Jesus shows us that if we want to be healthy, then this is how we do it. We prioritize God. We put God first. And so let me ask you this. Is that how much you value God? Does your relationship with God sit above even your own needs and desires and wants? What priority do you give to reading God's word? I mean, is that something you do regularly? Is that something you're uh, willing to get up a little bit earlier to do or get into work a little bit later to do? When Hudson Taylor, the famous Christian missionary, any time he heard that a Christian worker had committed adultery, he'd always ask the exact same question. He'd always ask, when did he stop doing his quiet time? And it might sound a little bit simple or potentially even simplistic to have that mindset and to say that that's how it goes, but that's certainly what I've seen in my pastoral experience. Anytime someone stops spending time with God, stops engaging with God's Word, then slowly they stop moving forward and actually often start drifting backwards. They stagnate in their relationship with God. And so let me ask you, is that something you're prioritizing? Or is it at the bottom of your pile? Time with God. Do you do it if you get time? But if not, that's all right. Or what about time with God's people? Church or growth group or youth group? Is that something you're prioritizing? Or do you live by a kind of cultural mindset of starbo? Subject to a better offer. You're happy to come to church, happy to go to growth group, happy to go to youth group if nothing better is on offer. But as soon as something better comes along, then church goes out the door. What priority do you give to God? See, if we want to be healthy, a healthiness that's not just about physical healthiness, but about spiritual healthiness, then we need to be like Jesus. This son sees the priority of his father. And this son also seeks the glory of his father. Because having failed the first temptation, the devil now tries again. He takes Jesus and he shows him the whole world, and he says, "If you'll just bow to me, I'll give it to you." Have a look at verses five to seven. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, said to him, "I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours." See, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the earth flash by. The military might of the Roman Empire, the vast wealth of the British Empire, the vaunted culture of the Persian Empire. And the devil says to Jesus, it can all be yours if you'll just bow the knee. Now, we might hear this and ask ourselves, but doesn't it belong to Jesus already? Isn't this already all of Jesus? And in a sense, you'd be right. Think back to Luke chapter 1, where God says he'll give Jesus the throne of David and his kingdom will never end. So if it belongs to Jesus already, then what's going on? What's the devil saying? Well, what he's trying to do is to tempt Jesus with the crown without the cross. He wants to give him a crown without the cross. And you can just imagine how tempting this must be, because Jesus is fully aware of what the cross involves. Remember what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane? As he's praying about the upcoming crucifixion, about the cross, Jesus gets a thing called uh, hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. Do you know what hematidrosis is, or do you remember the story? That's where someone in great times of extreme emotional turmoil, stress, will sweat blood. Remember, that's what happens to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's so distressed about the upcoming crucifixion that he sweats blood. See, Jesus knows how much incredible suffering there will be on the cross as the sins of the world are poured out on him. But the devil here is saying... I'll give you the crown without the cross, the glory without the suffering, and all you need to do is bow the knee to me. And so you can just imagine how tempting this must have been for Jesus. But Jesus isn't fooled. He knows that a crown without the cross is no crown at all. And he knows that the glory of the Father is what matters absolutely the most. And so that's why he replies, as he does, in verse 8. Have a look at it with me. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He won't bow the knee to the devil, he won't worship the devil. The only one he'll worship is God. Because God's the only one deserving of honour and glory. And do you know uh, where this quote comes from? I'm sure all of the youth do. At Youth Group last year we studied the Ten Commandments and this is actually the first commandment. Worship God and only God. See, Jesus knows that God's the only one worth worshipping. And here we do see quite a parallel between Jesus and Israel. Remember what happens with Israel at their, while they're at Mount Sinai. Moses is up the top getting the Ten Commandments. But they're so impatient, they don't even want to wait for him to come back down, that they get all of their gold and their jewellery and they melt it down and they make a golden calf. And then they bow down and worship that calf. And so here we see Jesus being compared or contrasted with that old son of God, the one who essentially failed before they'd even begun. Yet here, Jesus doesn't. This son seeks the glory of his father. The father is the only one who worships. And it is worth us then reflecting, is that what we're like? Who or what do we worship? Who or what do we bow the knee to? Now, of course, this is a, that's a huge topic and we don't have time to, to engage with it in the way we should. Uh, one book I'd recommend that you, that you read is this one, Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. A very good book, goes through um, many of the different idols of the heart that we have. And he shows how actually every single one of us is tempted towards different things, tempted to bow the knee to different idols, to put different things above God. And so it's a great book to read through it. But what he does is gives us a few diagnostic questions we can ask ourselves to see what it is we might be tempted to bow to. Now the first one he gives is this. Look to your imagination. What do you dream about? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you try and figure out plans for career advancement? Do you fantasize about a relationship with a particular person? What do you daydream about? Uh, The second one is this look to your finances. What do you spend money on? Is it on your kids? Is it on other status symbols like homes or cars? Is it on things for yourself like clothing? What do you spend your money on? And thirdly, look to your emotions. What do you get the most passionate and emotional about? What is it that makes you seethe with anger, that makes you writhe with fear, that makes you crumple into despair? What do you get the most emotional about? See, in this world, there are countless idols, all clamoring for our attention. But this true son reminds us that the only one deserving of worship is God. This son seeks the glory of the Father. And finally, this son trusts the promises of his father. In this final temptation, the devil pulls out his big guns. He figures that if Jesus is going to use the Bible to fight against the temptation, then maybe the way to trip Jesus up is to use the Bible in the temptation And so he takes Jesus up to the top of the temple and tells him to jump. Because God will protect him. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, This is Psalm 91 that the devil's quoting there. And it does indeed say that. Uh, God does indeed promise to protect his servant. And so we wonder, well, what's the issue then? Isn't this scripture? Isn't this what it says? What are we to make of this? I think the answer lies in Jesus' response. Have a look at verse 12. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, while it's true that God has indeed promised those things, it's also true that we're not to put God to the test. And quite simply, if we trust God's promises, then we won't. I mean, think about it. A husband who fully trusts his wife does not say to her, I know you love me and I believe your promises, but I want you to prove it to me. Uh, You don't say to your best friend, hey, I trust you. And I know you have my back, but you should prove it to me. No, if you trust someone and you believe them, then you don't need to put them to the test. You simply believe them and you take what they say at face value. And this son trusts the promises of his father, doesn't need to put him to the test. But the devil doesn't like that. He he wants Jesus to say, God, I know you've said that, but I need just one more sign. I'll believe you and what you said if you give me just one more sign. Just save me this time. That's what the devil wants Jesus to think. And I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had similar thoughts? Have you ever thought, God, please just give me one more sign so that I know that I can believe you. If you do that, then I'll be able to trust you. Have you ever thought like that? I heard the story recently of a man reflecting back on when he became a Christian and when he was a new Christian And he said how what he wanted the most at that time was for God to give him some kind of spectacular sign that God is there and that God is real. But God didn't give it to him, even though that's what he most wanted. And do you know what this man said, reflecting back on that time? He said he's so grateful that God didn't give him that sign. Because if God had have given him that sign, then his faith would have been based on that sign. But instead, his faith is based on the Bible. His faith is based on the reality of God's promises. See, it's so tempting to want more than what God has given. But we don't need it. We have something far, far better than that. We have the Bible, which is filled with God's promises. That tells us exactly who God is and what God's done and what God has promised us. And we know that God is a trustworthy God who keeps his promises. And so that's what the true son of God reminds us. This true son trusts the promises of his father. And so having been resisted not once, not twice, but three times, the devil then withdraws until a later time. And so that's our passage and that's who Jesus is. The true son of God who lives up to the hype, who doesn't fail like all the previous sons of God. But we're perhaps left wondering, well, what does it mean for us? How are we meant to apply this passage? Well, I think it comes from when we realize kind of what life is for us here. As God's people, in a sense, we're still in the wilderness. Just like Israel for those 40 years and just like Jesus for those 40 days. We are in the wilderness on this side of the new creation. We're being tempted by the devil. We're battling against the possibility of sin. We're in the wilderness, just like Jesus was here. And so while we're in the wilderness then, what are we to do? Well, we're to look to the sun. I find Hebrews 12 is a great encouragement about doing this. If you've got your Bible, do uh, flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We'll look at verses 1 to 2. Uh, Despite the name Hebrews is in the New Testament, tempting to think it's in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, we are in the wilderness, we're running that race. And as we're in the wilderness, we'll fight against the devil and temptation. But as we do, we're not alone. The Lord Jesus has gone ahead. He's walked these paths before us. And so as we're here, we set our eyes on him, the pioneer and the perfecter of 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 our faith. The one who went first and completely and perfectly resisted temptation and sin. The one who was sinless for our sake. And so can I encourage you, keep looking to this son. Keep looking to Jesus as you walk through the wilderness of this world. Turn your eyes to Him, the Son of God, who is worth the hype, who perfectly withstood sin for your sake so that you might have life. And so that's the first thing we do. We look to the Son. And I think that's the main point that Luke is trying to make here. The main point he's trying to make is that Jesus has gone first and Jesus has perfectly resisted temptation, Jesus has perfectly been sinless. He's defeated sin, which means that because he has died for us, any who trust in him might have life as well. That's the main thrust of the passage. But there is a secondary point. It does still give us a little bit of guidance about what we can do in the face of temptation, how where to handle temptation. And so as we walk through the wilderness, as we face temptation and the devil, what do we do? Well, we also imitate the sun. See, we look to him and we see, what did he do? And in the face of the devil and temptation, what did he do? Well, he swiftly and immediately rejected the temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. Because that's how he handled sin and the temptation in a passage, didn't he? He didn't dwell on it. He didn't allow this temptation to grab a toehold. He didn't kind of play with it, toy with it in his mind, thinking, oh, maybe I should. It would certainly be enjoyable. He didn't allow that little flame to slowly grow into a bonfire. No, he immediately rejected temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. And that's all the more reason why we should be spending time in God's word, familiarizing ourselves with it, being shaped by it, because how are we to draw on it if we don't know it? And so that's what we're to do in the face of temptation. We imitate the sun. When someone cuts us off on the road and we feel that anger inside beginning to boil, then what do we do? Well, we imitate the sun. We immediately reject the temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. When a friend succeeds and we know that we should praise God for their gifts, but instead that little voice of jealousy inside of us tempts us, what do we do? Well, we imitate the sun we immediately reject the temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. When we're in a conversation and we have that juicy bit of information that we want to share about someone, even though we know it's gossip, what do we do? Well, we imitate the son. We immediately reject the temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. Whenever temptation arises, whatever it is, we do the same thing. We imitate the son we immediately reject the temptation, drawing on God's word to do so. But of course, we will fail. It's not an if, it's a when. And we all know that. And we all know that we will fail. And so when we do, what an encouragement it is to know that Jesus didn't, that he's our perfect son of God, who's perfectly qualified to deal with our sin. Both past and past, present, and future. Every sin dealt with by this perfect son of God. And so then as we walk through the wilderness of this world, it brings great comfort to know that this son of God was successful. And so never stop looking at this great son of God. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I'm going to pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do praise your name for sending us Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who perfectly resisted temptation and sin so that he might uh, live the life that we don't live and then die the death we deserve to die. We praise your name that he then rose again triumphant over death. So Father, we do thank you for Jesus, the true Son of God, as we walk through the wilderness of this world. uh, Would you help us to set our eyes on him, to remember him, our perfect Saviour, would you also help us to imitate him when we face temptation help us to uh, follow in his footsteps but when we fail please give us great comfort knowing that he did not and so we have life in his name and it's in his name we pray amen